Well, this morning, I uh, tried to communicate one of the aspects that's required, one of the things that's required if we're going to live our life on this earth full of joy and meaning and purpose, significance. And that requirement is that we realize and accept all that God has made us. Our propensities, our tendencies, our strengths, our weaknesses, all that God has put together in our mom's womb. And we say, Lord, I want to take all that I am. I will give it to you. And I want you to live your life through me. And, uh, and, and so in that case, you, you know, here's a guy that I have certain things that uh, I enjoy. So go do that. That's, that's part of it. And I'm good at this. Well, then go do that. And if God needs to correct you, he, it's easier to steer a moving ship than one sitting dead in the water. So get on with life, doing what you, how God has made you, and ask Him to live through you to His glory. And that's part of really enjoying our time here on earth. Just enjoying. Um, there's another aspect, and that is, like I mentioned earlier, you have three entities that you have to deal with here on earth. One is God. What are you going to do about God? And everybody has to answer that question. Number two is, what are you going to do about all these people? Everywhere I go, there's people. I'm involved with people. What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with these people? And then the third question that you come across is that, well, what do I do with my life? What do I do? What's my, my slot? What do I do? And we want to cover number two tonight is how, how do I deal with... How do we successfully relate to others? If uh, we got it going, Remington? Yeah. Hey, we do have it going. How do you successfully relate to others? And in a word, it's love. In a word, it's love. Now, I want to, uh, I came out of a home background, and I had a good mom and good dad. Don't get me wrong, they worked hard. And, and they loved, they cared for us. They loved us. They really did. I can remember my mom. We were so poor that she actually washed clothes in a big pot, building a fire out in the backyard and washing and steering the clothes with a, broom string, a, boom, a broomstick and hanging the clothes to dry on a barbed wire fence on the chick, next to the chicken pen. And my mom had it tough. And she worked hard. But there was not a lot of personal stuff. I, can, I, I can't ever remember my mom or dad, either one, telling me that they loved me. I, I can, the only time my dad ever touched me was when he was spanking me. Never even touched me. In fact, when I came back from Vietnam, I'd been gone over 13 months, and I had been wounded, and my dad knew I was in combat all the time, and my life it was, it was in danger. He knew that, and it scared him because he was not a Christian. And when I came in the door of my house, I opened the door, I walked in in full uniform and everything, and I reached out to shake his hand, and he grabbed me and hugged me. Only time in my life my dad ever hugged me. So I grew up in that kind of environment where love was, you know, just kind of there, but you didn't talk about it. Then I went to Texas A&M, 8,000 men. And guess what? We didn't talk a whole lot about love. <laughs> we talked about a lot of things, but love was not one of them. Military school, very strict, very demanding. I left there and went to the Marine Corps. 
Guess what? We didn't talk a whole lot about love in the Marine Corps either. And then I, I, I left the Marines and I, I joined the Navigators, which is a Christian organization, but a very disciplined, strict, hard-driving, choleric type of organization, and a very demanding and so, although we talked about love, it was something that we talked about, and not really something that we did. We didn't do a whole lot of it. And so, when I got married, you can imagine I had problems. I didn't know how to express love. I, I mean, I knew you said it, and I knew you were supposed to hug your wife, and you know, and all that type of thing. But, but how do you, how do you express that you really love somebody? I, I, to be honest, I didn't know how. And coming out of my background, I kind of thought, you know, you, if you talk much about love, you were nothing but a wuss anyway. You know what I'm saying? You're just a, you know, Clarence Milk Toast. You know, you're just, <laughs> you weren't a real man if you talked about love. You know, you're a bunch of Clarence Milk Toast powder puffs, you know. <laughs> and so I wasn't all that eager to learn about love. I mean, I thought that was almost a deficiency in my character if I was a loving guy, you know. But uh, so then I, when I got married, I had problems. <laughs> you might guess that. <laughs> but you know, as I got into the scripture, I kept seeing a little bit of a different picture. And I saw the word love mentioned a lot. Love one another. And I saw that. And, and I saw acts of love and sacrificial acts of love. And as I poured over the scripture, morning after morning, month after month, year after year, and I saturated my, my thinking with this book, this, this concept of love just would not go away. <clears throat> and so I came across, uh, it, it, I came across uh, a verse in James 2.8. This is amazing. Look at this. If, however... If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you're doing well. You know what that royal law, that means the king's way. That's what that means. You know what the king's way is? It's not make disciples. It's not be a hard charger. It's not accomplish. The, the king's way is to love your neighbor. That's the royal law of Scripture. So let me, uh, I, I've, I've worked at this. And you know, here's a, here's a verse. I've recently, last, oh, six, eight months or nine months or so, I really asked God to help me to understand love. And not too long after that, I was reading a, one of my New Testaments that I read through this past year. And I came across uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, I mean, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, I think it is. And it says, and may the Lord lead you to realize how God loves you and how patiently Christ suffered. But the verse says, and may the Lord lead you to realize how God loves you. And I kept trying to stick the word much in there. How much God, but it's not in there. How God loves you. And so I, I, I've, I've, I've delved into this. I've studied it. I've worked on it. I've prayed and ask for direction and help. And so, in the scripture, I finally found, or came up to the fact that there is the act of love and there is the motive of love. 
And here's how they're, here's how, and I've got scripture that basically define them. The, here's the definition of love. It's an act. And this is 1 Corinthians 4, 7, uh, 4 through, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And I memorized it in the living translation. And it says, love, you know what the act of, you know what love looks like? Love is very patient and kind. You know, one time I was talking to my wife, she was crying. And she asked me, she said, just, uh, I told her, I said, well, you know, sweetheart, I, I mean, I, I know I make mistakes, but I love you. She said, well, just how do you define love? She's over crying. And I said, well, I started in on this. I had memorized this. I said, love is very patient and kind. She said, you're neither patient nor kind. <laughs> 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 so, and she was right. She was right. And there, I had just kind of an epiphany there. And I, I, I just said, God, I'll make a vow to you that I will never, ever be impatient or unkind to my wife ever again. God, I vow that with all my heart. Would you help me to do that? Because she was right. I was not patient and kind. But love is very patient and kind. Never jealous or envious. Never boastful or proud, never haughty, selfish, rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. It, um, it is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. And that's love. And I thought to myself, you know, I could take that verse of Scripture and just kind of make a template out of it and I could lay that over everything that I do and ask myself Chuck are you loving those people or are you not love is very patient and kind that's what love looks like love is very patient and kind never jealous or envious never boastful or proud never haughty or selfish or rude never love does not demand its own way it is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. It will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It's amazing. In, uh, so I thought, you know, that's the act of love. What's the motive? And I came across this past year reading the Weist. He's a W-U-E-S-T, the Weist New Testament. Brilliant Greek scholar that uh, wrote the New Testament. But he, what he did, he, he wrote a New Testament... And I told my wife one morning, this is very difficult to read because he defines every Greek word giving you the word picture. So he, he gives you, so you got a bunch of pictures down through the page and the page may, be, you know, the sentence may be that much of the page because he defines everything for you. So it was a little bit difficult to read, but very insightful. Wow. And he, he gave us, he gave me the, what I call the motive of love. And that's the second thing, the definition of love, there's an act and there's a motive. And so Paul, Paul is going to, he's coming to Corinth, and he's gotten some reports that they need to be straightened out. They've got some problems. And so he says to him, shall I come to you with a stick? Now get this, or in a love, and this is the weast giving you these word pictures, or in a love that has as its impelling motive the benefit of the one loved. My motive is your benefit every time shall I come to you with a stick or in love that has as its impelling motive the benefit of the one loved 
the exercise of which love demands self-sacrifice and in the spirit of, of, of meekness. The only way I can be that way, then all, the only way that I can always have as my motive, your betterment, is that if I'm willing to pay a price and be meek. It's the only way it'll ever happen. That's, my, that's the most. So the act is 1 Corinthians 13, 4. The motive is 1 Corinthians 4, 21. That's love. So I, I studied, I looked at that, and you know what I found out? <clears throat> I, can't, I can't find any options. I can't find in the scripture where I can treat anybody any other way. God will not allow that. And God tells me, I love you, I, I want you to love others, and this is what it looks like, and there are no exceptions. I can't find it. <clears throat> so who do you love? And I think there's a kind of an order in the scripture. As I, as I search, you, you love God more than anything else. And I, and I got some scripture. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And, your, and, and, and the second is likened to it, You shall love your neighbors yourself. What is the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's first and foremost. And another verse that clarifies that. If anyone comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And God says, you come to me and you have other people in line before me, it ain't going to work. If any man, any man come to me and hate not his father, compared my love, your love for me far excels anything else. You know what the first commandment is? Moses went up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. You know what number one is? What is it? Yeah, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number one. You, you, you will not have other gods in front of me. That includes your family. That includes your wife. Includes your kids. And God says, you will not do that. It won't work. So God is our preeminent love by far. The second one, one other thought is that, you know, you really can't love God. You ever thought about that? You can't love God. You, you can't see Him. You can't feel Him. You can't shake His hand. You, you, you love God's people. You love God by loving God's people. You can't love God. You know, I heard a guy say, well, no, you can't give to God. How, how do you give to God? You give to God's people. You love, you, you don't love, you love God's people. <clears throat> the second one in the order is your wife. And I don't know how many of you are married, but most of you will eventually be. And husbands, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang it on you here. But husbands, love your wives. It's Ephesians 5, uh, <clears throat> 25 and 29. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
No man ever, ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, let me point out some things about this. I am told to love my wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Now, when I get up in the morning, every morning, almost never fails, the first words out of my lips, I want to be, Lord, I surrender my life to you today. I give you my life. And I pray, Lord, that you would live through me, that your son might be glorified today. I, I, I pray that you do that. You know what the second word is? God, help me today to love my wife as Christ loved the church. God, help me to love Robbie. That's just like you love the church. Help me to do that. I want to do that. You know what? Uh, here's a sad thing, a, a bad thing about it. There are no conditions that she has to meet. None. Well, you know, I'd love my wife if, if what? There are none. So a guy comes to me and says, man, you just don't know my wife. And I said, that's true, but I know the book. Yeah, but you just don't understand my wife. I mean, you just don't understand who I'm living with. That's true, but I understand what this book says. And there are no conditions. You know what my wife has to do to get me to love her as Christ loved the church? Nothing. That is a command by the living God to the husband to love your wife. And it is a costly love and I demand it of you. I command it of you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I, I, see, I seek to do that. Here's another strange thing. Do you know that the wife is never commanded to love her husband? There, I mean, I've looked over the Bible. I've looked for it. <laughs> it, it, it. It's not there. My wife ha is not commanded by God to love, her, uh, love me. I'm commanded to love her as Christ loved the church and give myself. And when my son got engaged, I said, Jeff, marriage will cost you and it will cost you plenty. There will be nothing greater, no greater relationship in your life, but it will cost you because Christ gave himself up for it. It will cost you. But my wife, my wife doesn't have to love me. I married my son in his, in his backyard on Lake Louisville there in Dallas. The daughter-in-law, my, my daughter-in-law, Susie, came to me. She came out of a back Catholic background and, and not a practicing Catholic. All of her family were Catholics. None of them had any, you know, never went to church. And she came to me and she said, Chuck, would you marry Jeff and I? And I said, well, Susie, I, uh, I've been involved in some weddings before, but I, I kind of apologize. The only thing I know to do is read the Bible and come right down the gun barrel. That's all I know to do. Here's what the Word of God says, and I come right down the gun barrel. I don't mince words. She said, that's exactly what we want. My family doesn't have any idea. And so I got up and I said, you know, wives, be subject to your own husbands as, in, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. And, if, and as, the Christ, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wife ought to be to her own husband in everything. And I said, Susie, those three verses are the only requirement that, that, that God asks of you. Only three verses. Now, the husband, he's got a few more. He's got nine. He's got nine verses there. Then he's got 1 Corinthians 13 to deal with. 
so I, but I, I, I married my son and my daughter. But I, you know what I told him? I said, you know, God, you know what the purpose of marriage is? Before the fall, before man and woman sinned, God brought them together, and He said, the two of you, shall, you know, the man shall leave his, 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 his mom and dad and cleave to his wife, and the two of you shall be one flesh. That's the whole purpose of marriage. I want you to have such a phenomenal relationship, such a closeness and a oneness and a singleness of purpose that people will look at you and say, man, they're just like one. And I said, Susie, if you will do those three verses, and Jeff, if you'll do those nine, I'll guarantee you'll have the, the oneness. If God never tells us what he wants us to do and doesn't tell us how, he wants, how, how he, we ought to pull it off, how we're supposed to do it. And he, he tells us what he wants us to be, oneness, and here's how you do it. Guarantee it'll work. But I told him, I said, you know, there's a lot of people living together now. I've been living together 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. And there are two people living under the same roof. And you know why they are? Because the wife will not submit and the husband will not love. And they have two people living under the same roof. And there's no way that they will ever experience the oneness that God had in mind. Because they reject his way of getting there. You love God with all of your heart. You love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. <clears throat> the third, um, and by the way, I can't find in Scripture where we're supposed to love anybody else like that. There's nobody else that, that the Scripture, there's nobody that we're supposed to love like we're supposed to love our wife. Nobody. I don't love anybody on this earth like I love my wife. But what about your neighbors? Those, that's the other po folks. What about all these other people? Others. And I found this verse. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Get this. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. You go back and look at all the laws in the Old Testament. Hundreds of them. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. Do this. Don't do this. And, and, and Paul says, if you will love your neighbor, you'll fulfill every one of them. It is staggering to me that love does no wrong. Ever. And so you know what I did? I asked myself, you know, Chuck, does, um, does God love you? And I say, uh, yes, he does. Then what that means, Chuck, is that God has never, ever done you wrong. For the last 74 years of your life, God has never made a mistake with you. He has never done you wrong. Ever. Because He loves you. That is a staggering thought to me. That in all the things that I've gone through, good and bad, rough times, devastating times, 
Every one of them was an act of love from the living God. He has never done me wrong. Ever. So I come to John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. You know the verse. As I have loved you, that you love one another. Nobody's left out of that. You love one another. That's everybody. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. And so I reflect on that verse. I wrote down here that love is so totally who God is that it, He commands it to be so totally of who I am. And I thought to myself, you know, this is so important that I, if I want to be like Christ, if I want to be like God, I will be a man who loves, like 1 Corinthians 13, with the same motive as in 1 Corinthians 4. That, that is not an act I learn. That is not a way I learn to perform. That's who I become. I become that. You know why I become that? Because that's what God is. That's what Jesus is. Love does no wrong. So he gives us a command, a new commandment. You had 10 commandments, now you got 11. A new commandment I've given to you, I'm going to command you to, this is so critical, that you become like me. I'm going to command it. A new commandment I give it, that you love one another as I have loved you. And you know what it says? It says, I guarantee you that everybody you see will know that you're my disciple. I guarantee it. Everybody said, you mean at work? And we talked about, we've talked, uh, I've had time with people as we've, uh, last couple of days, and the question has come up frequently about situations at work or difficult uh, relationships or difficult situations where you just, you're kind of being hammered and you don't know quite what to do. The Bible says that if you will love them, and I command it, that love is very patient. You're very patient with them and kind and you're not jealous or envious or boastful or proud or haughty or selfish or rude. And your motive is always their best interest. And the Bible says if you will do that, I'll guarantee you it'll change their life. I was uh, having dinner one night um, with a lady named Ruth Tucker. Ruth uh, is a historian, uh, is a Reformed church, uh, teaches at uh, uh, Cromwell College or something up in uh, Gordon Cromwell, I think it was, in Michigan, Rapids, Michigan, Rapids. And, and Ruth is just a phenomenal, phenomenal author. She teaches a lot for the United States Center for World Missions. She knows history of Christian missions like just nobody ever. She, she wrote a book called From Jerusalem to Irian Jaya. Jerusalem, of course, is where, the, where when Jesus says to make disciples starting in, in Jerusalem, start here, and then you go to the ends of the earth, and her end of the earth was, was Irian Jaya, which are the jungles of the northern Guinea. Papua New Guinea, Irian Jaya, and she traces the work of God through the life of missionaries, godly men and women who have taken the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. 
And she traces this. this what a phenomenal book. I was just absorbed by this book. And one night I had dinner with Ruth. She was on the board at Letourneau College. Uh, it's a Christian school in Longview, Texas. And, and I knew some of the engineers there. And, and uh, they introduced us. And, and Ruth and I became very close friends. She's a tremendous lady. Godly woman. Very smart. So we're having dinner one night. And I'm sitting at the table and I say, Ruth, uh, the last thing that Jesus asked us to do was to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Assuming he was serious. I mean, let's assume that he was serious about that. Why haven't we pulled it off? And I mean, without missing a breath, she said, because we don't love each other. And the message... Or her answer was so spot on, so center of the target, that all I could say was, right. But you know why we haven't accomplished the Great Commission? It's because we don't love each other. We're selfish. And Jesus tells us, the most important character of my life, other than my holiness, is my love for you. And we talk about God, God the Father, God, and we say God is love. I mean, that's who He is. That is the essence of His character. And then He comes down and Jesus says, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to command you to be this way. It is so critical that you be a man who loves people. It is so critical. I'm going to command you to do it. And then Ruth says, you know why we haven't reached the world for Christ? Because we don't love each other. And she's dead on. You know why you don't have a greater impact in your dorm? Do you know why you're not having a greater impact at your word? I could almost assure you. It's because you pick and choose who you'll love. And the Bible simply does not allow that. It's love your neighbor, love others. A new commandment I give unto you that you love as I loved you. You know, we even commanded, get this, who do you love? We're even commanded to love our enemies. And I searched the scriptures, you know, I could not find any group, anybody that we were not supposed to love. I mean, from God to your wife, to your neighbors, to others, to your enemies. And what you do to your enemy, those who, who spitefully use you, those who lie about you and, and, and talk and try to get you, uh, try to hurt you with their tongue, your enemies, those who are just mean, you know how you respond to those people? Very patient and kind. Never. You respond, and always with their best interest. But you figure out what is the best thing I can do for you. It may cost me, but I figure that out. And that's the way I do. Always. Always. I cannot find anybody outside of these, of these commands. Amy Carmichael made a comment, and Amy Carmichael was a, uh, went to England, a British lady, started the uh, Donover Fellowship down in the rescuing temple prostitutes, young girls that were sent to the temple to serve the priest who were, the real intention was to become their mistress. And she would rescue them and give these young gals a home and care for them and nurture them. Did it all of her life. 
You know, I read several people who, would, who visited her and her Donover Fellowship in India and came away and said, you know, I think that's the most godly woman I've ever known. Isn't that amazing? That you would come away from a place and say, you know, that, that Amy Carmichael is the most godly woman I've ever known. Amazing. But Amy Carmichael, Car- Amy Carmichael made the comment, you can give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. You can give without love. But you cannot love without giving. Now, I, I don't want to paint the picture here that love is all, you know, s- syrupy, sweet, and uh, soft, mushy marshmallows, you know. Because I, 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 love sometimes can be tough love. And when you say, I'm going to do the best thing for you, uh, we had a gal in our workshop talked about that, it, that somebody was stealing. And he knew about it in his company, stealing money. What does he do? So you ask yourself, what is, what is in his best interest? Is it to let him get away with it? Is it to keep it to yourself? You know it, but you're not going to tell the boss because uh, you're just going to love the guy. Is that love? Letting him get away with it? So that the next time he steals, he'll just make sure you don't see it? So love t- can be tough. It can be. And let me give you some verses on that. <clears throat> love can and will be painful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, I... I uh, sometimes... Or maybe I'd even ask you, when is the last time that you wounded and hurt one of your friends in order to help them in their relationship with Christ? When's the last time? When's the last time you pointed out a major flaw that they're blind to, they can't see it? And you pointed out and it hurt. It hurt them. When's the last time you've done that? You know, I had a good buddy, a very good friend. And I, uh, but I saw some things in his life that uh, were not right. So I had uh, met him one night for dinner, and then we went out and got in the car later on and drove, just drove around town for about two hours. And I laid out this negative character in his life and how it had shown itself and what it was going to do to him. He never said a word. All this time, it's a monotone. It's me. And I finally drive up to his house where he lived, and he got out. And closed the door and walked into his house. I didn't know if I'd ever see him again or not. One of my best friends. But he had a character flaw that was killing him. And he couldn't see it. And so I laid it out for him very plainly. Painfully. He got out of the car walked into his house. You know the next morning, 6 o'clock, I got a knock on my door. It was him. He was on his way to work. He had tears coming down both, both cheeks. And he said to me, Chuck, you hit the nail right on the head. I am that way. And he said, I am so regretful of being that way. And he was crying as he told me, telling me of how he had repented of that, of that way. He went on to work. That afternoon about 6, 6.30, I got a knock on the door. Same guy. 
still crying. He said, I cried all the way from work. He said, I am so sorry for my sin. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you risk a friendship to help somebody with a blind spot that they cannot see? So when I say that, when I'm, we're talking about loving, loving your, your, uh, others loving your neighbor, I'm not talking about being blind. I'm not talking to be, about being all mushy-gushy. I'm talking about helping them be the person that they should be. That's love. <clears throat> he who rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Proverbs 28, 23. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon my head. Psalms 141, 5. <clears throat> You know, I can chart the progress in my Christian life by men that God has brought into my life that loved me enough to hurt me. And I can chart the growth in my Christian life from the encounter with those men who loved me and who loved me enough to help me over a blind spot. Now, I'm... Let me go back and just review. Love is very patient and kind. And you ask yourself, do I treat everybody this way? Because there are no exceptions. You can't find somebody that you can get away with not treating them this way. <coughs> Love is very patient and kind. Never jealous or envious. Never boastful or proud. Never haughty, selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. It will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Love is never glad about injustice. It rejoices when truth wins out. Is that you? Is that you all the time? I'm not talking about putting on some act and being all sweetie, nicey sweetie. I'm talking about this is your character. This is you. Is that you? You know, this is... a. Uh, Gang, I really think this is just almost. You, you know, you know how to. Do, do you know how to impact your campus for Christ? You love them. You love those people. By this shall all men. You know that's an amazing thing to me. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Well, what about the atheist? What about the agnostic? What about the antagonist? And I love them. Do they see Christ? You bet. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me they do. By this shall all men, I don't care who he is, all men will know that you're connected with me. When you see you act that way, that is so out of this world that they will know that you're connected with me. <clears throat> you want to change your workplace? You want to change your family? Just love your mom and dad, your uncles and your cousins and brothers and I guarantee you it will change your whole family you love them <clears throat> and I wrote down here that you work on this till this becomes who you are and Jesus said this is who I am this is who I am and I wrote down here I want you to be who I am. 
so that others can see me in you. You want to change your campus? You want to change your family? You want to change your workplace? You want to change your, your apartment complex? You want to change things? Love. You know what 1 Corinthians 13, the next verse says, when it, it gives a description of love, you know what the next verse says? Three words. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 8. You know what it says? Three words. Love never fails. It never fails. And gang, I'm telling you, you can change. You can see changes in, in the world. You can make an impact on, on the world if you will be who Jesus was to your neighbors. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no wrong. You want to be that way? Now, we're talking about living a successful life. We're talking about going through life fulfilled, happy, meaningful, significant. We want that. You know how to get it? Is you surrender all that you have to God and you ask Him to help you to be a person who loves others. Guarantee it. You see that? And here I'm, I'm telling you, I came from way back there to get to this point. I wasn't born this way. I wasn't raised this way. I wasn't taught this way. I, my experiences weren't this way in the military, in the workplace. And I, I didn't learn this. You know what taught me all this? The Spirit of God taking the eternal Word of God and showing me where I was wrong. That Chuck, you need to be a man who loves your wife as Christ loved the church, love your neighbors as yourself, and always do that which is in their best interest. And Chuck, if you will do that, there's no telling what I can do through you. Because you know what? You're just like me. There's no telling what I can do through you. You want to live a happy, successful life? Me too. Well, this is how you do it. You get it? You got it? Well, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're so grateful that you have given us your word. It is so clear and easily understood. And we want to thank you, Lord, for giving us the Holy Spirit to tell us what it means. How grateful we are. And now, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to become that person that you have designed us to be and that person who reflects who you are in this world because the people in this world need to know about Jesus. And we can tell them if we're living the life that Jesus was. God help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.